photography and travel trends in 2024. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. It's crazy how fast time is going. The, just this morning, I had a meeting with Judy and Laura where we spoke about details and costings for a trip running in November 2025. It's literally almost two years from now. We also have some trips booked into 2026. And it's this strange place where you're always working well in advance, but then having to manage stuff now. It's what we do. That's the travel industry. Also, from a photography point of view, I was helping someone with Lightroom a couple of days ago and went into the catalogs. And then suddenly you're working on images from 2016, 2014. It's bizarre. Time is just a strange thing and it just runs away with us. So for the first episode of this year, I thought what I'd look at is trends for 2024, projected trends of both photography and travel. So this morning I had a cup of coffee and I did a bit of a deep dive into some websites, into some videos, podcasts, about what industry leaders and the overall kind of direction is in which things are going to go. I'm gonna start with photography. And after my trip to Chicago last year, where I presented at the Chicago Photography Schools, Nick and I, the owner, had a conversation. And specifically, one of them revolved around Lightroom and how there's some changes coming up this year where it seems, and don't quote me on this, but it seems, that there's a change coming where Lightroom Classic is going to be merged with Lightroom CC. There's really a couple of changes that's happened in both programs that kind of hint at it. And I know from a discussion many years ago with SmugMug, that is kind of where Adobe has wanted to take this. But that apart, I also feel personally that the way that people travel for photography is going to change. I think it's gonna become a bit more specific I think it's gonna be more singular in the focus rather than a general thing of let's photograph, for example, the wildlife of Sabi Sabi is do the leopards of Sabi Sabi, that kind of thing, or Northern Lights or, or whatever it is, right? But that apart, we'll touch base on this at the end. I had a look and I pulled five trends photographically that I found on more than one kind of platform. So let's run through them and see how you could either learn from it or then go and study these kind of approaches in and, and then deploy it into your own wildlife and nature photography as you go through the year. Right, first up, hyperrealism. Now, I'm gonna read from some of the things that I've cut and pasted here. Hyperrealism transcends the traditional bounds of visual representation and it's characterized by breath, breath trait take, gee, try that again, breathtaking ultra high definition, capturing every nuance of the subject with a clarity beyond what the human eye can normally perceive. Now, I suppose if you're just a normal photographer like me, that sounds like sharpness, right? So let's look at some of the characteristics of hyper-realness or hyper-realism. First of ultra high definition. These images are characterized by their incredible sharpness and clarity. Every detail, no matter how small, is captured with precision, resulting in photos that are crisp and highly defined. Second, vibrant color palettes. Colors in hyperreal photography is often amplified, resulting in Im images that are more vibrant and saturated than in real life. This enhancement makes the photos pop and adds to the surreal hyperreal quality. Next one, extra detail. The focus on extreme realism means that every element in the photo, from textures to reflections, is depicted with the utmost precision and detail, often surpassing what is typically perceived by the naked eye. 
And then the last one here is advanced post-processing. Hyperreal photography makes extensive use of advanced post-processing techniques such as HDR or meticulous color grading, detail sharpening, and noise reduction. Now, if you listen to all of that, ultra high definition, vibrant colors, extra detail, that sounds like how some people process for Instagram and for social media right? Because if you make it a little bit too vibrant or a little bit too sharp, it seems to pop more on a screen. Anyway, make of that what you want. So the first trend that seems to be coming up for the coming year is hyperrealism. So sharper photos, more vibrant photos. Next one here, monochrome contrasts. I'm going to read for you again. In 2024, high contrast photography will captivate viewers with its bold and dramatic visual language. The style is marked by its ability to distill an image to its core elements, emphasizing a striking range of tones from deep blacks to bright whites. Here you can think Ansel Adams' zone system. The essence of this trend lies in simplicity and strength. So what we're basically talking about here is strong monochrome or black and white images. So some of the key characteristics of this, light and shadow interplay. High contrast photography is defined by stark differences between light and dark. This creates dramatic shadows and highlights, adding depth and dimension to an image. You need bold tonal ranges. Now this is known as making bold visual statements, right? It creates a significant emphasis on a wide tonal range from deep blacks to bright whites. Again, go and look up Ansel Adams's zone system if you don't know what that is. This range helps emphasize the subject or draw attention to certain aspects of the composition. For example, it would be if you have a very dark scene of a male lion in the thicket, but there's a very bright piece of highlight in it that you pull up. Next one, texture highlighting. High contrast accentuates textures, making them more pronounced. Textures under such conditions can add a tactile quality to the image. You see sharpness comes through again, making surfaces and materials stand out in the photo. And obviously with monochrome high contrast images, you're not going to have color in there because it's going to distract. So making it less distracting and allowing the viewer to focus more on the composition, that's why you won't be using color in these images. So number one, hyperrealism. It's these images that to us, if we speak about it, it's probably overprocessed. And then the second one is monochrome contrasts. Next one here I found interesting. Uh, they called it quiet luxury. And I found versions of this all over. So what that is, is a trend that's gaining momentum as we live in a world where simplicity and authenticity are becoming highly valued. This trend of quiet luxury moves away from the brash and flashy, flashy, embracing a minimalist approach that speaks through subtlety instead. Now, this would be if you're a landscape and nature photographer and wildlife, you could probably use the processes and the thoughts behind this. Some of the key characteristics of this, minimalist aesthetics. Quiet luxury is characterized by clean lines, uncluttered compositions, and a focus on the essentials. The approach highlights the beauty and quality of the products and subjects without any unnecessary details. So think minimalist, flat horizon silhouette of a giraffe, for example. Muted color patterns. Distinctive color grading sets the tone and mood of the quiet luxury look. Soft, understated colors, often pastels, are a hallmark of this trend, conveying a sense of calm and timeless elegance. Now on that, I know I did a video a couple of years ago maybe, where I showed you in Photoshop how to create a base layer of color, then you create a layer of monochrome, you fade the top monochrome level out, and it leaves you with a saturated but a muted color tone. That's kind of where this is going. Next one, emphasis on space and environment. In quiet luxury, there's often emphasis on the space around the product. 
This could mean capturing items or subjects in a harmoniously designed environment or using negative space in the composition to highlight the subject or scene. A lot of this speaks to more landscape photography, but if you do go to an area where you have minimalist type of compositions, the Masamara Serengeti comes to mind, then this could obviously work for wildlife as well. Uh, focus on textures and materials. Quiet luxury places a strong emphasis on the tactile quality of materials or subjects. The feel of a product, be it the softness of the leather, the smoothness of the silk, the warmth of the wood, the feel of the fur, becomes a crucial aspect of this luxury type of experience, image-wise. So, so far what we have, hyper-realism, we've got this strong contrast black and whites, and we've got this quiet luxury, which is like the muted tones for photography. All three styles that you can deploy as and when needed. Right, the next one here, analog echoes. Now this again, it kind of speaks to the quiet luxury side of things, but let me read for you here. Trends often cycle through time, and the resurgence of the vintage aesthetic is a testament to this. Captivating audience with its nostalgic charm, this trend takes us back to an era before the dominance of smartphones and the internet, evoking memories of a more analog world. And uh, the, the allure to me would be that it, it, it kind of transports us back. If you think of a vintage wildlife image from the late 1900s or something, right? Or early 1900s, th those black and white grainy, it makes you feel something. It makes you age and date the image accordingly. So some key characteristics of this analog echoes approach, an aged palette. This trend often leans towards hues that reflect the past, muted, desaturated tones, sepias, and even some monochromatic schemes. These colors are really vibrant or overly saturated, but instead they have a faded quality that conveys the age look of old film images. Grains and textures. The deliberate inclusion of grain mimics the textures of high ISO film, a common feature for older photographers. The textures can also include scratches, dust marked or uneven development, elements that age to the quality. Diffuse lighting. The lighting often mimics softer, more diffuse techniques. It creates gentle and even lit scenes that contrast with the high-definition lighting of modern photography. And then the last one here, post-processing, this trend involves the use of filters and effects to replicate the characteristics of older lenses, soft, like soft focus, lens flare, and chromatic aberration. Now, all I'm hearing when I read about analog echoes is the Nick filter called analog effects. You can literally Every single thing they mentioned here, the age palette, the grains and the textures, the diffuse lighting, the post-processing where you include soft focus, lens flare and such, you can insert that and process your images with Nick uh, analog effects and make it look exactly like this. So far, four trends. We are, again, hyper-realism, monochrome contrast to the strong black and white stuff, quiet luxury, those muted soft palettes, analog effects, the old-looking images. And then this one, there was, there was quite a few others, but I decided to go with this because of what's happening here. AI-enhanced creativity. Now, a lot of you are thinking, oh, AI, not going to do this, can't do this. Here's the reality. If you're using Lightroom and you are using the AI denoise, it's already there. They've also got this new lens blur feature, which is ridiculously good. So it's already there, and if you fight it, I think you're going to lose. So let me read for you here. As AI technology continues to advance, its integration into photography both simplifies workflows and enhances creative potential. AI tools now range from editing software that elevates photo quality, such as photo AI, to algorithms capable of generating entirely new images. We'll talk about that now. 
This trend is driven by the constant evolution of AI technologies, which are becoming simultaneously more complex and user-friendly. So just some of the key characteristics of this kind of trend, automated editing. As a photo is taken, AI tools can instantly apply filters and adjustment, allowing users to immediately see the enhanced images. This happens on your phone, right? These tools can be applied to a variety of automated effects from smoothing skin tones and portraits to bringing out rich textures and landscapes and shot. That's pretty much every filter we've ever used. It's this new features like Photo AI uh, from Topaz Labs. Next one, enhanced quality. Algorithms enable photographers to significantly improve the overall quality of images. If you haven't yet, you've got to try Photo AI. It's actually quite ridiculous. These things can sharpen details, optimize exposure, and refine color balance, resulting in photographs that are visually more appealing and professional looking. It's insane. Dynamic range optimization. AI can effectively manage challenging lighting conditions, enhancing the dynamic range to reveal details in both the shadows and the highlight, which might otherwise be lost. Now, your phone, your iPhone does this automatically. Look at a sunset, pick your phone up and just point it at the sunset. It automatically pulls in details in the darks and the highlight, right? It's computational photography, it's AI. It's the same as if you open Lightroom now at the top right, if you've got the latest update, there's an HDR button. You can take that, click it, and you can, through AI algorithms, pull all the details out. Whether you like it or not, guys, this is real. And then style transfers. This enables creative transformations in images, such as style transfers, where the image can be made to mimic a particular artistic style, creating a blend of traditional photography and art. Now, this is more on the digital art side of things, but even in Photoshop beta now, you have the AI ability. If you take an image into Photoshop, you go to the crop function, you hit C, you drag it slightly bigger so that you've got a white frame around the image where you've cropped outside of the image, and you just say enter, it fills it in for you. It builds the image up. You can take an image of a lion pretty close, full body, and you can turn it into animal and landscape. That's the world we live in. So for good or for bad, it's here. I think it's going to become more of a part of our editing and processing for sure as we carry on. But, um, and, and quite honestly here, a couple of days ago on Saturday, John and Andrew and myself had a braai. And we spoke about where things are going. What's the future for travel, for photography, for wild eye? Do we look at, for example, including AI courses? Do we start teaching these things as a part of photography? And I know any trip I'm doing this year, I'm 100% going to include some of this to my clients. Rather have the information, understand how it works, because that's where depth of knowledge comes in. So again, a wrap up. The five trends for photography going into 2024 is hyperrealism those over-processed, in inverted commas, looking images. Next one, monochrome contrast, the strong contrast black and whites. You've got quiet luxury, which is the soft muted palettes, that half semi-desaturated look, simple lines, very clean. Then you've got analog echoes, which for me is literally analog effects from Nick filters. It's a part of the package. And then AI enhanced creativity. Whether you like these or not, I don't think is important. I think the important thing is that you're aware of it and that you know where it is. It's like adding new tools to your photographic toolbox. Is if you're faced with a scene on a trip with me and you're looking at it and you think, oh, this is not really working from a nat nature documentary type way, hey, let's go hyper-realistic on this. Let's punch the saturation and the clarity and the sharpness just a little bit further than what it should be. Or this could be a very good, strong black and white, a monochrome contrast image. 
Or then if we work afterwards through Lightroom and we think, mm, mm, this is not really working, hey, let's try and go analog on this one. Or let's then get lost in AI and play with that. So I think the trends is an interesting thing for us to keep an eye on and to see how it works. And um, for what it's worth, take value from each one. It really is a thing. I'll share more thoughts on that, but let's change gears here to travel for a second. So this again came from a conversation that John and Andrew and myself had. And I then this morning, like I mentioned, had a cup of coffee and I looked at a whole bunch of travel trends and travel predictions into the new year. Now, as you can imagine, there are a lot of these. There's every major newspaper, every major travel company, every major magazine, every influencer has their own ones. But the ones I've got here came up on different platforms and different people. So it's also kind of what and where we as Wild Eye are looking at and how we're planning our way into the new year. So in no particular order, travel trends for 2024. First one, astro-tourism. Now again, I've got a whole bunch of stuff cut and paste for you here. Let me read for you. Astronomy, of course, is a field of study that has been around since the dawn of civilization, and the act of gazing up at the stars has long been a source of soul-soothing wonder. Today, the more society falls deeper into an ever-expanding virtual world, the more we feel the need to broaden our horizons in the real universe. Astrotourism is the act of traveling with the aim of catching sight of astronomical phenomena, disappearing to the lands devoid of any pollution, crowds, and traffic, where we can focus solely on the skies above and while away hours gazing at the stars, planet, and constellations overhead. Now, if you've ever been on a safari to Africa, that's pretty much it every evening. You can step outside your tent or your lodge, look up, and you will see these things. Right, now, why will it matter in 2024? So I've just pulled a bunch of quotes here from different people. Increasingly, wellness-centric hotels and spas are creating spaces for guests to gaze upwards, looking for comets, spying constellations, and identifying patterns in the glittering expanse. So here you have international hotel change creating building areas where people can look at the sky. Where and, and this makes me happy because every single place we go to, there's incredible skies out there. It's quite amazing. Now, on the Arabian Gulf, Zulal Wellness Resorts is surrounded by the expanse of the Qatari Desert, the ultimate destination for pollution-free astronomy, right? With dedicated workshops and stargazing sessions for families and children looking to learn more about the cosmos. So everywhere from the Qatari desert through the UK, I'm looking at a whole bunch of res ah, restaurants, hotels and stuff here. There are building places where you can see the sky, right? For any of you that have been to Africa, been to the Mara and so on, you look up at night and it is just spectacular. So have you ever thought of, you, you all have photography uh, in you, you have cameras, you travel, Make astro-tourism and the destinations you choose something to look for. I remember this little segue, sideline thing here. Nick, uh, the owner of Chicago Photography Schools, he was at the Mara Camp, and he went out one night, and he created an image at the Mara Camp that I've never seen there before. Nick went out and he put a time-lapse on to get star trails. Phenomenal. Absolutely beautiful full-circle star trails. There was a hippo in the front. It was just phenomenal, all right? But... People, people, you, me, all of us, we go to these places and we just want to focus on the Great Migration. That's all that matters. Or we go to Mala Mala and it's just about the leopards. You're selling yourself short. So I think 
changing your mind and why not go on an African sky or evening sky safari and focus on that. And if you get leopards on the side, that's cool. Just a thought, right? Next one here, one of the trends that came up. Now, there's a bunch of different names that people called this, but this one was interesting to me. A coolcation or coolcationing. What is this trend? For the vast majority of folks, summer holidays used to be about following the sun, seeking the heat, watching the mercury climb and hitting the sands. With the intense record-breaking temperatures of recent years, however, many are considering traveling in the opposite direction, booking coolcations in temperate destinations which also benefit from being less crowded. Now, that's pretty awesome. So a survey for Luxury Travel Network Virtuoso found that 82% of its clients are considering destinations with more moderate weather in 2024. Destinations such as Iceland, Finland, Norway, Scotland. Now, I think for a lot of people, depending on when you can travel, the heat has become a thing. I know in Africa sometimes, you go to minor pools end of October, it is 1 million percent hot. It's ridiculous hot. You're looking at 40 plus Celsius, right? Day by day dry heat. But there are options. You can go to a different time of year. We'll speak about that now, right? Now, cooler temperatures are also particularly well suited to family travel. And the, the idea of kayaking in Norway, for example, with its midnight sun, or hiking in Iceland, these are all really good value trips, but you get away from it and you still get nature. So again, I think most of you listening to this probably kind of heavy on the Africa travel side of things. And yes, it's always going to be hot. Well, cancel what I just said. Medikwe in winter is some of the coldest places I've had. It's insane. But think of this again, is why do you travel? And when I wrap this up, we can talk about this. Why do you travel? Look at the, maybe, because you, you can't choose to come to Africa end of October and then bitch and moan about the weather. You chose this, and that's where research comes in. But coolcationing, apparently from what I've read, is one of the travel trends we can expect into the new year. Right, then where are we here? Private group travel. Now, since COVID, this has also 100% become a thing, right? The post-pandemic desire to gather friends and family and embark on a shared holiday experience shows no sign of abating just yet. In fact, it's on the increase in luxury travel as people appreciate the benefits and save the moment of, for example, generational travel with your mom, your dad, grandparents, the grandkids, right? There's another thing as well where empty nesters are also growing with force with groups of couples in their 50s and 70s hiring villas in the shoulder season for cultural weeks away and travel. Now, private guiding or private group travel is without a doubt the best way, I think, to experience Africa, Svalbard, Iceland, Panton, I'll take your pick. Because remember, when you sign up for a, a dedicated photo safari, there might be six or 12 people on there. You book your spot, other people book their spots. Now, touch wood, we've been remarkably lucky in the guests that we've attracted, and it's been amazing how they've all worked together and played together. But imagine if you can see those things, experience those things with your closest friends and family. For those of you that have been to our Maura camp, imagine taking it over with your friends and family and you basically have the run of the place. That's golden. And from all the research and stuff that I've seen here and um, the kind of, uh, what's these things, surveys, private group travel is definitely one of the trends we're gonna be seeing into the new year. Right, peak season versus shoulder season. Now, let me read for you. 
There's been a dramatic recent increase in shoulder season travel to some of Europe's most popular destinations, such as France, Spain, the UK, and Italy, which is set to continue into this year. Uh, the cost of living crisis means that a lot of people had to focus on value. And the idea with this is that if you go out of peak season to an area, everything's cheaper. If it's a park, a national park, majority of the time in Africa, there's different park rates, right? Park fees. If you're going to hotels and restaurants during the off season, they're not jacking up their prices, even something like Uber, right? So we've seen it already that traveling in the shoulder season, just off from the peak, front or back, you still get the value of the destination, but there's so many other benefits. Uh, shoulder season travel is also becoming more attractive due to rising temperatures and is more feasible due to flexible working. Sometimes the peak season in an area might not match up with your work, which can be a bit of a problem, right? I also think that if you travel outside of the, so how do I do this? In the Masa Mara, for example, a lot of the villages around the Mara, they know when it's peak season and they dial everything up. It's very commercial, but they know that during the peak season, people are gonna come there, they're gonna pay dollars to see them do what they do. So the experience changes. If you go out of season, green season as such, or in Africa, or you go shoulder season, there's a better chance of a more authentic experience, I think. I really do. And this counts for, especially the Mara, out of peak season, less people. That wins. I'm sure with a trend like this being, being kind of put out there, this might change, but uh, for now, peak season and green season, incredible. Definitely look at that when you're planning your next trips. Now, one here that also came up, and again, there was different names and descriptions for this, but I like the idea of frontier tourism. So to go above and beyond, or below and under, as crossings of the tumultuous Drake Passage to Antarctica is racking up millions of TikTok views and traffic jams form on Everest, Canny travelers are seeking more individual, less obvious experiences that combine thrill-seeking with more meaningful self-empowerment. One person's frontier is another person's backyard, of course, so frontiers are entirely subjective here. For some, this could mean being the first to camp under the stars in a remote landscape, or hike an ancient pilgrimage trail that's been off the map for centuries. It's still possible to bag a rare place on a Kamba African rainforest experience in the Republic of Congo, being one of just 12 people to explore a game park the size of Belgium. Now, this is Odzala, for those of you that know our tours. Odzala is a trip that Andrew's on a couple of years back to back, and it is what it is. You are one of 12 people on a, on a property or a piece of nature's beauty the size of Belgium. It's amazing. There are still these wild experiences out there to get. I think, and this is personal opinion, I still think people drive their success of each or their, the, the, the perceived success of an experience on the images they get. If you start looking past that, if you start looking towards what is the experience I'm going to get waking up on my little stretcher where I've slept under the stars, what's it gonna feel like? What's it gonna smell like? What am I gonna hear? That is the magic, and that is where you can find your own frontiers and the things that speak to you more than just rattling off a bunch of images, the experiential side of it. That is what matters. For example, wilderness camping is also picking out fresh terrains in Kyrgyzstan with stays on into places like Mongolia, Albania, Pakistan, the empty quarter of Oman. So there's all these places that are coming up, but if I just look at the trips we run out of Wild Eye, every destination, every single one of them 
has options if you are willing to look at it, which takes you off the beaten track. I had a moment, personal thing here, where in December I was driving. Laurie and I was driving from Wiek up towards, where were we going? Towards Hoffen, I think. Storming, snowing on the way there. We had lunch, we photographed Vesterhorn. On the way back, the sun broke. And it was absolutely spectacular. And I had this thought for a moment, looking at the mountains around. What would it be like to stand on that mountain? What would it feel like to be sitting in that little, on the glacier, and have the sun hit your face? That's what I'm talking about. I do think, and this is one of the changes I think coming up in our industry of photographic travel, I do think it's going to be leveraged more and more on the actual experience of photography or the experience you get by doing photography than the actual images you get. As Wild Eye, we've, we've pegged our place on the top of the pile, I think, as far as education and teaching on a trip. We've heard this from our guests. It's what we pride ourselves on. So we're not changing that. That's going to stay. But the one thing that is going to become more and more relevant, I believe, is the experience of your photographic adventure. I really believe that. So let's just quickly wrap up before I give you the last one. Some trends that seem to be going to pop up in 2024, astro-tourism is the skies. Coolcationing, choosing destinations to get away from whatever weather you're having at your home. Private group travel, I think it's been there for a while. I think it's going to keep going. The peak season versus uh, shoulder season uh, choices. And then frontier tourism, the experiential side of it. My goodness, if I could just sit here and if I could design trips around experiences I would like to do, I can't imagine how amazing they would be. Right? I'm doing, for those of you that follow my, my, my kind of personal journey, I'm doing my white whale, the start of a white whale trip for me. Nothing to do with whales, it's the symbolism thereof, where I'm hedging everything on experience, because that's what it's about. That happens in March, but I'll talk more about that later on. So anyway, let me wrap it up again, because I'm going on here. Astro-tourism, cool-cationing, private group travel, peak season versus shoulder season, and frontier tourism. Now, there's another one which I saw a lot. So this is a bonus one from a travel point of view, right? I'm gonna read the little trend description that I found which is the best for this trend and then we can go into it a little bit. Biohacking your health span. I'm not a fan of biohacking. There's things you can do to be better and to age healthier, but let's just look at this. Longevity is the latest wellness buzzword thanks to the best-selling books like Outlive and the Netflix documentary Live to 100. Between 2021 and 22, venture capital investments in longevity clinics more than doubled from 27 million to 57 million globally, according to analysis from longevity research and media company Longevity Technology. Now, the science of extending life and optimizing health has become the focus at many hotels. Blue zone retreats are the new boot camps and even subarctic um, resorts are offering the latest biohacks. Now, why will it matter? I'm gonna keep reading for you just a little bit here so we get the idea. Since the pandemic, feeling good trumps looking good. People have become aware of the critical importance of developing more proactive, preventative approaches to health on all levels, says Karina Stewart, the co-founder of Kamalaya, a wellness resort in Kosamui, Thailand. This means new willingness to go beyond diet and exercise and embrace sci-fi sounding bio-regenerative treatments such as ozone therapy and hyperbaric oxygen chambers, both on offer at Kamalaya's new longevity house. Now, here's the thing. Do 
do we really need that on a vacation? Yes, if you're gonna double and triple down on your longevity, your mental health, your physical health, absolutely. However, what are the benefits of just being present in a place like the Mara, in your tent under the stars, or standing on a glacier in Iceland, or on an icebreaker up in the back ice close to the North Pole, on a little boat on the Pantanal, right? I believe 100% that travel and the type of trips that we do for nature is something that adds incredible value to our mental health and our headspace. I believe this. Now, as some of you might know, I do have a mindset and performance coaching business on the side. And one of the things I've been looking at is to run dedicated trips for that. To run dedicated trips, to take people out into these incredible places of the world, to go in and not only experience the place, but experience yourself. I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna talk more about that in the due course, but I am looking at something like that in Iceland for December, January, focusing on the area. Photography is a small part of it. It's about growing, about resilience, about confidence, about living, about life. That's what matters. And that's why I think this idea of retreat travel or, or, or health and wellness travel, if you wanna call it that, it's also gonna be a very, very big thing moving into 2024 and beyond. So let's recap. Photography-wise, five trends that I reckon is going to pop in this year. Hyperrealism, the overprocessed. I mean that in inverted commas, very bright, very sharp images. Monochrome contrast, the black and white stuff. Quiet luxury, those muted, softer tones. The analog effects, type of approach where it's looking like you're creating something from a bygone era, and then AI and how that's gonna be involved. From a travel point of view, the skies, astrotourism. Oh, just a thought on that. Scientists are predicting that the best displays of the northern light in the next 20 years are gonna take place this year. Because the sun peak is, the sun's peak goes through an 11 year activity cycle and this coming year, they reckon it's the peak of it. So something to think about if you're into that. I have got trips and I'm looking to more uh, let me know. Anyway, astrotourism, coolcationing, go to places that are cool if you're in a hot space and vice versa. Private group travel, get a bunch of friends, family, go and do the thing. Peak season and shoulder season. Frontier tourism, of I'm gonna call it more experiential tourism. Go and exp mountain bike through the Thule, canoe on the Zambezi, whatever the case is, but experience things more. Do things for you for the first time. And then also this whole health and wellness type retreat travel. If you take something that's gonna make you better and happier and create a better life, and you're doing it in a place like Iceland or Svalbard or the Pantanal or the Mara or the Sabi Sands, you know what I mean? It's a golden, golden combination. So that's kind of what I have for you for today. It's Travel trends, now we never know if this is gonna happen, trends come and go, but I do think there's value in the photography side of it because those five things are basically tools and approaches that if you're stuck, lean into that and see what you can create. From a travel point of view, while you're planning your travels, the biggest question is, why do you want to travel? What is it that makes you book that trip? What is it that makes you Google, where can I see a sloth? Obviously it's a sloth, but you know what I mean? That's the important thing. And I think once you figure out what your why is, 
then start looking at how and where. But astrotourism, cool cationing, private groups, uh, experiential travel, there's so many ways for you to approach this that whatever you've done, whatever you've seen in the past, there's always something you can do different. And again, my personal opinion, I think we're going to move a little bit away as an industry of judging the success of, an, of a trip or your vacation on the images you get and more on the experiences you have. The big thing is, though, you need to be present for it. You need to be there with the correct expectation, with an open mindset that you don't sit behind your camera all the time. Yes, get the shots, but sometimes put that damn thing down and just live in the moment. That's where I think the new part is going to. So I'm going to leave you with just a thought. I'm, <laughs> as I said this, there's an American, he's like a motivational speaker and long-distance athlete. He's not Rich Roll, but his approach is, and I've, I've, I've used this for a couple of years now, and it's actually a pretty cool thing. It's for the year ahead, right? Look at one big adventure, a Misogi, if you will, M-I-S-O-G-I. It's a one-year thing, so you're going to define your year by that. Let's say, for example, I run the New York Marathon next year. That would be the year that I ran the New York Marathon. It kind of defines my year for me. There's preparation, there's planning, there's passion towards this one thing, right? So get that one big thing. I've got mine for this year already, but I'll talk about that at some other stage. Then, that's your first part. The second one is plan mini adventures for yourself every two months. Something away. If you have time and means to travel to Africa for a week, do that, right? Otherwise, look at something in your backyard. Camping, going out, doing things you haven't done yet. Do that every second month, right? Suddenly, you have six mini adventures and one big adventure that year. And it's not, okay, you don't have to go to Africa six times a year. I'm sure you would like to. You don't have to go to Svalbard six times a year, Iceland, Pantanal, India, whatever, right? One big one and six small ones at home. Drive out to the closest nature reserve that you have. Go and do a hike you haven't yet. Do six things a year, right? And then, from a more personal point of view, add one good habit every quarter. There's a recipe, and you can deploy your photography against that. Every six, every every second month, go and photograph something you haven't before, right? Have one big project per year for your photography. Add a new habit to your photography. I can do the same with travel, right? But that idea works very, very well for me. Anyway, there it is, episode the first episode of the year of the Wild Eye Podcast, and I think it's episode 471. Now, I spoke to Luke yesterday. Luke is or has taken over the kind of social media online world for Wild Eye. He's doing all the, the planning and backstage work at it. He's doing a pretty damn good job. And him and I spoke every Tuesday from now on. I'm recording a podcast on here for Wild Eye, and those are going to be stock standard. You can check the blog. They'll be on there the following week. But I might be popping in with more episodes in between. But for now, every Tuesday, new episode of the Wild Eye Podcast. Again, if you ever have questions or comments or any topics you'd like us to cover, please fire it, Will. But um, you're going to still hear all the other guys on here as well. I'm excited for the year. It's been an interesting start, not going to lie to you. So I've got a couple of uh, personal goals and things that I'm working on. But excited for this journey. Anyway, guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for lending me your ears. Wishing you guys an amazing year with lots of travels and many great images. And I'll chat to you in the next episode. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Bye for now. <laughs>